You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Hope. Hope is born. I mean, that's one of those things that, well, that's what we're here thinking about is the hope of Emmanuel. Rejoice. Where's the hope? I read the Washington Post pretty regularly and other newspapers, but in, in today's Washington Post, Michael Gerson, I, he's a veteran columnist, and he's asking, where's the hope? If you have a subscription to the Washington Post, you can read it, but it's been reprinted in a number of other newspapers as well, and I highly recommend you take a look at it. It's titled, This Christmas, Hope May Feel Elusive, But Despair Is Not the Answer. And what he talks about in there is that he has been wrestling with cancer for a long time without having a particular impact his life, but he wrote this column from a hospital bed because cancer is killing him, and he knows it. What an invitation to despair. But he writes, and it's one of the most profound reflections on the coming of Jesus Christ I've ever seen. So take a look at it. Michael Gerson, this Christmas, hope may feel elusive, but despair is not the answer, though that seems to be it. So where's the hope? Where's the hope? Well, if you saw my Facebook intro, you saw my thing about sitting in front of my Christmas cactus, two of my Christmas cactuses. And Christmas cactuses, most of the year, are just boring cacti. I mean, talk about, yuck, nothing. And then they explode in blooms, and it's often around Christmas. So we have three of them in our house right now, and there's a daughter one, and they're all just brilliant. I love Christmas cactus, but it speaks of hope, and when it comes, it just explodes. This is a recent picture. Can you see what that is? It's Mount Hood, full moon, and Santa's sleigh. (laughs) Is that your hope, that Santa's coming to town? I hope you're doing better than that. My hope, and I mean, Sharon and I saw this, is Christmas with the Chosen. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of the Chosen. Uh, Just imaginative ways of telling the Jesus story, and this is just absolutely fabulous. The way they tell the nativity story and the context they put it in, you gotta see it, you gotta see it. It's so profoundly good in the way they could tell Mary's story. It's a complicated but beautiful story with songs. They're wide variety. And that line at the bottom, people must know. That's what this is about. People must know. And as they tell the story, Joseph is trying to take care of Mary. They're in a stable. He's shoveling the cow dung out of the way so he can lay her down. And she goes into labor, and he's trying to comfort her, and he has no idea what he's doing. And she's trying to help him help her. It's just beautiful. And then suddenly he is holding a baby. And just the profound wonder on his face, because the angels told him what this baby means. And as he hands that baby to his wife, and they're both just sobbing. And he takes water and he begins to wash the little baby because babies are full of blood. And the picture of Mary is she just cannot stop the smile. As not only does she have a baby, but this baby is 
the Messiah, the very Son of God. It's a powerful, powerful story. There's much more to the story in this. You got to see it. You got to see it. So here's our passage for the day. Because we want to talk about now what do we do? Now what do we do? The Messiah is here. The baby's born. It's next. So Luke chapter 2. This continues the story. Luke 2, 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child to Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him, blessed them, and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. But worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. The word of the Lord. And you respond, thanks be to God. Because this is the word of the Lord for us to ponder here today. Now look at this passage, and I look at the purification rites required by the law of Moses. So Joseph and Mary are following that, and at the end, it says Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord. And what we see about Joseph and Mary, both of them, is that they are obedient people. They're following carefully what God requires. They're responding to what he asks them to do for good relation with him and good relation with each other. That's the kind of people that God uses, is people responsive to his leading who are willing to say, as Mary did, be it unto me as you have said, as we looked before, obedience. Purification rites? Like, what's that? I mean, you wash a baby, but what's this? There's something more. And it's something about presenting him in the temple and that sort of thing. For the purification? Now, what is that? Well, let me explain just a little bit here. Because there's some stuff in Scripture to understand. There's holy and there's common is one pair. 
And holy in American means, you know, you do everything right. A, a holy person is a saint who does everything so well that they're a saint. Holy in Scripture actually means dedicated to God. And common means not. So holy means a pot to use in the temple exclusively. A same exact pot can be used at home for your soup, and they're just, which one is dedicated to the Lord? Another pairing is righteous and sinful. And the third pairing that we're talking about here is pure and defiled. And what happens here is we, time, we think of sacrifices and such in relation. Well, let me just think. What's the difference holy and common? Well, it's a priest's dedication. A priest takes something, a person or an instrument or an animal, and dedicates it to the Lord. What happens to righteous and sinful? Well, that's where you have a sin offering. And that usually involves death of an animal, and the blood is, blood is sprinkled to show that the price of death has been paid. But in the context of pure and defiled, which we talk about here, what's happening there is often a washing and a different kind of a sacrifice. It's not a sin offering. It's a dedicatory thing. It's saying that this thing... Now, we have something like that today. When I think of COVID, <laughs> we think of COVID as something very defiling. And if you've been around COVID, you are unclean. We cannot come near you. And you have to do a washing or something like that or a timeout or something. But you don't have to do a sacrifice because it's, it's not related to God. The purification we're talking about here is relation to God. And contact with blood or death or fluids, bodily fluids, mean you have to be purified. So what happens here is Joseph and Mary have to be purified. And what they're doing is here, they do a sacrifice, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, I've got some notes, and if you've downloaded those from the app or from the website, you notice the thing in back in Leviticus 12 where it talks about this. She says, bring the priest in the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove. Now, you notice something here. You're supposed to bring a year-old lamb they don't do it. Why do they not bring a year old lamb? Because that's what the law says. Well, there's actually a provision. And what this shows us is that they are poor. Because it, there's a provision that if you can't afford a lamb in this dedicatory sacrifice, this purification rite, you can leave the lamb out or just because God recognizes some people are poor enough they can't do it because God considers our status in his requirements and they're poor. So he presented the Lord as a firstborn son with a sacrifice of redemption because in scripture the firstborn son is always dedicated to God and you have to redeem him and that's what they do. Now the thing this heralds as they do this sacrifice of this dove and a pigeon is that this same son the same son will present himself as a sacrifice for the redemption of all people. That is his calling. That's what the angel Gabriel has said to both Mary and to Joseph. And that's what we look forward to. This baby is not just any baby. This baby is the very son of God come in flesh. And it's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. With all the myths of the world, there are often stories of God's coming to this world, but they never, ever come to a poor place. They never ever come as a baby. They always come with power and for passion and killing. Very different picture here with this baby who will present himself as a sacrifice for redemption. That's the story that we tell. As we go on here, this man Simeon, 
righteous and devout. Now, righteous just means that he is careful of his relation with God, following what God has called him to do. And devout means dedicated to God uniquely. And that's who he is. That's the kind of man that he is. And what we find is that when you're doing this kind of life, righteous and devout, that's the kind of people that God is more intimate with. Now, he'll take anybody into his family. There's no condition whatsoever for coming into God's family, except you just need to receive that gift. And that's what we're talking about here today. But for intimacy with God, it means that you have to be righteous, caring for what God asks us, and dedicated to him alone. And that's the ones with whom God is intimate. And that's what we see happening. So we see here that it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Now, Simeon's just a guy. He's not a king. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's just a guy. And it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit that he will see the Lord's Messiah. And as we go on here, he is moved by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple courts. And when he gets to the temple courts, now it's full of people. It's full of people. And as he's there, he sees this couple coming with a baby. And he knows that baby is the Messiah. How does he know that? The simple fact is that this man is hearing and moved by the Holy Spirit. And see, that's a pattern because Messiah has come and he pours out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Says, we all have the Holy Spirit. And as we living a more righteous and devout life, so we have that greater intimacy with God, we're more and more likely to hear the Holy Spirit. Now, in my own story, I was raised in the church. I kicked out hard as a 14-year-old. I thought I was rejecting Christianity. It turned out I was rejecting <laughs> fundamentalism. I just didn't know there was anything but that because that's the only thing I lived with in those days when I was paying attention. I kicked out hard. Went into a place of deep despair and was challenged to reconsider Christianity. And I went back to the Jesus story. As I read the Jesus story, I found something there that was absolutely entrancing. And one night, about midnight, driving down Rio Grande Boulevard in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in my little two-seater sports car, God spoke to me as I was driving down there. And I said, okay, I'm in, in effect. And I didn't know any better, because I was a church that believed that, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit didn't talk to people anymore. But the truth is, He does. And what I'm telling you is, we today can hear and be moved by the Holy Spirit if we're willing to listen, and if we're willing to be responsive to Him. And if we'll take out the stuff that separates us from God and are living righteous and devout like Simeon, it's a great challenge to follow. And this is what he sings. And I love this song. Michael Card's singing of this song is just one of my absolute favorites. You may dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm done. I've, everything I need is here. A light of revelation of the Gentiles, glory of your people, Israel. Seeing Jesus is the climactic experience of his life. And I found myself thinking, is that the way I respond to Jesus? Is finding and being close to Jesus the highest experience in my life? Now, like you've heard already in the service here, I had a great time with my family yesterday. Cindy, our daughter, was at our table. We had some good friends there, Sherry and Philip Atkins. We had a long Zoom call with my two sons and their family. And a lot of text messages going back and forth. As special as those were, and they were really, really special, 
finding Jesus. Is that the climactic thing? We're talking about the noise. Stephen was talking about noise. Are you able to get past the noise and get to the real stuff, the reality of Jesus? That's what we're talking about here. And what he says here is he finds himself praising for God's gift. And see, we're in a world where everyone is dissatisfied. Everybody's ticked off because they don't have. Do we find ourselves being grateful for the gift of intimacy with God through Jesus Christ? I mean, this is, this is the post-Advent reality of the life we have in Jesus. And it goes on. Simeon blessed them, said to Mary's mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Like what? Now, Jay gave us a different message just recently. He said that the angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now, what's the deal? The angel said, great joy for all people. Simeon says, it's going to cause the rising of many, and it's going to be a pain in your heart. Is it joy? Or is it putting down in pain? Well, it's both, of course. It's both, of course. Like so many stories, there's a complexity to it that's important. There's coming pain. We saw in our Christmas Eve service a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful rendition of Mary, did you know? The answer is she knew in part. Joseph knew in part. We know in part. But see, the, the Son of Man comes to destroy the serpent and his works. There's Anna. I'm intrigued with her. Anna, my sister's name is Anne. She's very old. Widow, after seven years of marriage. And here's this woman who lives this way. She is a faithful old widow. And we've had a lot of deaths this year here at Grace, a lot. And we've got some widows, we've got some young widows, we've got some old widows. And what I love to see is how many of these widows have discovered through the reality of the death of a husband a new level of intimacy with God and living a faithful life. I think of Carol Clark, who's just done such an amazing, because she's wrestling with her own cancer after Tim's death. And just her witness and power and gentleness is so... It, Anna's like that. Just She's a faithful woman. But she's also a prophet. Now, often we think of prophets Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or somebody like that. And there are a lot of male prophets, but there are a lot of female prophets, too. This is one thing that both women and men do. And in the Pentecost sermon, the, the Holy Spirit comes to sons and daughters, husbands and wives. And that prophet means that we are able to hear and speak the word of God with power. And like Simeon, who praised God and was moved by the Spirit, she is speaking by the power of the Spirit. And what she does is she's telling everyone about that in her worshiping. She doesn't leave the temple. She's constantly fasting and praying. This is the kind of woman that she is. She is full of a worshiper of God. Everything about her in her years of widowhood and loneliness, she finds her joy in God. Now, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, it's hard to be a widow anywhere, but especially in those days, she still finds that relationship with God absolutely front and central in this thankful worshiping. And look at that. Coming up to them, she comes up and joins the party. At that very moment, she giving thanks to God. 
and spoke about the child to all people. This is the kind of word she is. She's thankful, but she's telling it. Remember the thing from the chosen Christmas? People must know. Go tell on the mountain, Sarah sang for us a bit ago. And the thing is, the serpent says, I don't do that. They'll mock you. They'll ask you questions you can't answer. See, I tell the serpent to go to hell. All we're doing is giving the good news. This is God come in the flesh as a tiny baby to a low-class family to give dignity and worth to every single human being. You don't have to be like a scientist or some, a theologian to figure this out. It's a simple good news. Tell it thankfully and from your own heart. That's what she does. She's proclaiming Jesus thankfully to all people. Now, if you're not sure how to do that, we'll be glad to help you because it's a simple story, but it changes the world. One of the books I worked through this past year is Tom Holland, his book Dominion. Now, it's a big, fat book, but he's a British atheist historian. And what he's doing is he's showing how Christianity has absolutely changed the Western world by giving dignity and worth to every single human being. And you think, well, that's no big deal. Oh, yeah, it is. That's, we are the only culture in the entire world, those have been touched by the reality of Jesus Christ, who believe that everybody has dignity and worth. Nietzsche said it right. To the powerful goes all the power, and they may as well dominate everybody. And that's the news of evolution. The most powerful animal eats all the other animals. We have a different thing. God comes to the weak, the powerless, as well as the strong and the wealthy to bring the good news that God is here. Child's father and mother marveled. That's what was said about him. We've heard this in some previous Christmas sermons, and I think about this. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Jay did a great reflection in our Christmas Eve service on that. And this story ends with after Jesus presented in the temple, they did not understand what he was saying, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. See, that's a response that comes to that. There's far more than we can understand. But to take what we understand and ponder it and let it change our story because the Jesus story changes everybody's story because we can join that story personally. So look at that. Joseph and Mary, again, patterns for our life post-Christmas, marveling at what was said, at what the reality is, and pondering deeply. There's a lot they didn't understand. And I'd say it's true, even though I'm a professional theologian on one side of my life, there's so much that understands. When I turn 70, I've had steps every year, and at 70, it's saying, I'll never get this figured out. And for me, that's a big confession because I'm committed to figuring stuff out. I'll never get this figured out, but I can ponder it and wonder and marvel because God doesn't explain suffering, for example. That's what Gerson says in his essay in the Washington Post. God does not explain suffering. He joins in the suffering to give it purpose and meaning, and God's working in that. So what do you think about Jesus' followers? One of the things I think about is good news is offered to all. It doesn't matter what nationality you are, what ethnicity, what religion, what class, what economic level you're at. It's offered to all. That is the good news. It's great joy to all people. But, but 
It has to be pondered and received by every single person. And that's a challenge I give to any of you today that are watching. Whether you're watching this live or whether you're hearing this later on a podcast or whether you're watching it on a YouTube. What's your response to Jesus? Because to initially join the family, you have to ponder who Jesus is and then receive the good news and say, yes, I want you to deal with my sin. I want you to give me power to live an intimate life. If you've been a Jesus follower for a long time, there's still much more to ponder and do because that intimacy with God that's able to hear his voice and know the reality that's there, that's, what, that's, a requ- that's just a good response to have. One more. Jesus is the son of God who's come into the world. Again, coming as a helpless baby who will grow to be a strong man but then will be killed as an insurrectionist. He's come into this world so that all may become sons of God. Now, this is not a gendered statement. Son means inheritor. It means we are the ones who can inherit all the promises of all the kingdom. Everybody becomes an inheritor by joining the family. There are so many promises to be fulfilled that he brings as a Messiah. The birth of this baby. Now, Stay with me a little bit, because this is a bit complicated. The birth of this baby is a sign of the confrontation between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the most beloved one. It's a confrontation because the kingdom of light and the kingdoms of the serpent. Because clear back in Genesis 3.15 and through the whole Bible, there's this conflict of kingdoms going on. And Jesus coming as a tiny baby is an act of goodness because the kings of God, many times, in all its apparent weaknesses, insignificance, and vulnerability. He does not come as a powerful conqueror riding in on a stallion with armies behind him. He comes as a tiny baby. And he has to run for his life because Herod's trying to kill him. The kingdom of God is in confrontation with the kingdom of the serpent, and the kingdom of the serpent have all their apparent wealth, influence, and power. And see, that's a question you have to ask. Do we join the way of vulnerability in seeming insignificance, or do we tie in with the kingdom of the serpent with wealth and power and privilege? Bit of personal thing. This is an MRI of my brain. It was taken about five weeks ago. And you see the little spot there, that white spot down there, right there? That's melanoma. That's a, now, melanoma in your brain is, that's not a good thing. I've got melanoma in a good bit of my body, but in my brain, oh my gosh, I mean, that's really something else. Wow. And if I enlarge that just a little bit, you notice down here it says 9.8 millimeters. That's about half an inch. And in three weeks between when this MRI was taken and a more careful, or more careful MRI was done, it doubled in size. Now, I'm completely unaware of this. I'm feeling nothing. People tell me I'm still thinking fairly clearly. Well, as clear as I ever think. But that thing is a malignant growth in my brain, literally. It's in other parts of my body as well. And they gave me a, the green mask to lock my head in place, and they use x-ray 
surgery to zap those two spots in my brain. That happened about two weeks ago. And I've got the green mask at home. I thought about bringing it to do show and tell, but you just have to take my word for it. And my head was locked in place and I was completely submissive to this x-ray surgery. It took about 40 minutes total to zap these two spots. And then on Thursday this week, this is a picture of me in the infusion room where they're putting in uh, Updevo and Yervoy. I'm learning all kinds of new words because that's the stuff that's immunotherapy that's trying to kill the stuff that's in my lungs and pieces in my liver too. And see what happens is that malignant stuff is like the kingdoms of darkness. Because what's happened is the kingdom of darkness is invading God's good space and God is coming back in insignificance and vulnerability in goodness to overcome the powerful, seeming powerful. And we've got a question of which side we'll be on. And I'm calling you here to join the way of Jesus, which is not the way of hating, it's not the way of mocking, it's not the way of canceling, it's the way of blessing and loving your enemies. Boy, is that a challenge. But it's the way of Jesus. I want to ask you one more question here. A poem. Deborah J. Miller is a longtime friend of mine. She led the education program at Multnomah and I first got to know her. And she wrote a poem for this Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ came down. Upon us lay the curse of sin, relentless stain encumbered. We bow beneath its weight till fullness of grace and fullness of time manifest that night to break the chain, to lift the curse. Salvation came when Christ came down. An angel, a census, a stable, a manger. Christ came down. A star shone bright, blinking harbinger steadily, disrupting heaven's night, leading the way, the magi's path that lit to Nazareth, where lay the babe who was the way, the truth, and the life. Christ came down. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, Emmanuel, God with us. Christ came down. Lowly, lowly, heaven to earth, divinity became humanity to breathe our air, to feel our pain, to die our death. Before him now, our faces stooped, we touched the ground in adoration. Christ came down. Forsook the company of angels to walk with us. Christ came down. May we come down from haughty views, obscured by pride and hate and greed. Prostrate we'll find that eyes once blind, love's light was hailed, restored our sight. Rebound our hearts, renewed our hope to lay down what we know to sow fresh seeds of love since Christ came down. Thank you, Deborah, for that very intrinsic poem. The PowerPoint will be on the website. You can download it in a day or two. I look at this. You want to come up, Sarah? They were amazed, treasured up, pondered. The child's father and mother marveled as what was said about them. Mother treasured these things in her heart. And I asked the question, what amazes you about the story? What amazes you? Is it a, a manger? Have you ever wondered what happened to the swaddling cloth that that baby was laid in? Is it Mary's story? Or Joseph, the righteous father, trying to take care of things? Is it the baby? Oh, babies are marvelous. 
Is it that that baby is Messiah? Is it that angels came and sang to insignificant people in that culture, forgotten, marginalized people, and they went to see what was happening? Is it that magi, Gentiles from a different country, see the star and the star shows them where the baby is? There's so much. Or is it, and what entrances me most of all is through this baby and what he will do, is that I can have, we can have, as a community of faith, we can have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe always because Christ came down. What amazes you? Let's sing together. Thank you. I just think about that because see, Satan's lie is to say God promised you something that he didn't promise you and then when it doesn't happen, well, God failed you. No, Satan lied to you. See, that's the kind of stuff that goes on all the time. Well, we really put our hope in what God promises because he comes as a baby. He lives as a, a lower class man, but he's the son of the God who comes to bring that possibility of being sons and daughters for all of us. And the response I'd like to have you make is look for the hope, look for the hope. I want to conclude with a benediction that's written by Ray Pritchard coming out of this Christmas story. Pray with me, if you will. May you be filled with the wonder of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the Magi, and the peace of the Christ child. And, O oh Lord, may his light fill the world. Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Take that good news and change the world. Have a great Christmas week and New Year. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.